we are going to be kicking off our series called Love Your Neighbor. And in this series, throughout each week, we're going to look on how do we love our neighbor as Jesus has commanded us to. And uh, each week, we're looking at a different relationship in your life uh, that kind of that uh, commandment applies to. Uh, Today, though, is we are building a theology of this, kind of like, how is this all possible? Like, what makes this um, feasible for you and I to actually love our neighbor? Um, So we're going to be looking at Paul's words here and seeing, for you and I, unlike any other time in redemptive history, and uh, that's different than those in the Old Testament, and uh, that only Christians can do, only us, and love your neighbor, and uh, uh, as yourself, as Jesus commands us to do. So with that in mind, as we dive into this, this is God's word. Galatians 5, starting verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. May the Lord bless us this morning with his word. So Paul begins his letter right from the get-go. It says, you are called to freedom freedom. That matters because if you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you repented of your sins and you turned to Jesus, Paul's looking at you and I and saying, you are free. But what does that freedom look like? What is it? Like free from what? And if there's a main point today that I want us to really get at of how we build this theology of loving your neighbor, it's this. It's freedom loves God by serving others. Freedom loves God by serving others. And we want to see how does that all fit together. Like what is the means by which we love other people? How does loving God express itself through loving each other? Make sense? That's where we're going at today. That's our main point. So our text begins by the Galatians that they're called to freedom. Paul's passionate about this, kind of the center of Galatians, one could argue Galatians 5.1, it says, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. And so Paul is very passionate about this. But like I said just a moment ago, it's what are the Galatians free from? And then once we answer that, it applies to us. It's what are we free from that Paul's so passionate about that he uses this as the like kickoff to his message. Well, if you read the book of Galatians before, the issue before them was that people were telling them that you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, but you have to adhere to the Old Testament law still. It's, it's as if we just listened to Pastor Steve talk. It's as if he were to say, hey, you're saved by faith in Jesus plus baptism. And the, and the thing with the Galatians in front of them is that Judaizers had come to them and said, hey, um, your faith, you're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ, but you also have to follow 
the circumcision laws. You all must be circumcised in order to be accepted before God. You must, as he tells us later, observe months, dates, and years. And basically, it's you have to follow the law in order to be in like proper relationship with God. Is what they're saying. And Paul is here to correct them and say, no bueno. No. Like, that's not how this works. You don't get to say faith in Jesus Christ plus the law. Because the primary thing that Paul is telling the Galatians in us is that we are free from the law. We're free from the weight on our back. It's like, yes, we are free from our sins. We're free. But in Galatians, what it's really getting at to where Paul gets to love your neighbor as yourself, he's saying, Galatians, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Don't go back to the law. It means don't go back in time. Don't go back in history. Don't go back to those things. Because if you do, you're saying Jesus wasn't enough. Don't do it. So Galatians, you are free. And we have to ask ourselves, like, why does this whole argument matter for Paul? Obviously, we can say it matters because, like, that's how we're saved. And this is why, though, we have to understand how, like, redemptive history works and where the Galatians stand now in relationship with God. This is where having, like, a, a biblical theology of, like, the history of the Bible helps us understand why Paul is so passionate about this to where it really matters for you and me. So when we look back in the Old Testament, we, we ask ourselves, how were people saved? Jesus didn't die for their sins. The Jesus didn't rise from the dead yet. So how was David saved? How was like Samuel saved? All these Old Testament figures, how are they saved? And the answer is by faith. Always by faith. For them, it was faith in God's word. We have Abraham in Galatians 5, or 15, 6, when he says he got, and Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God at his word, and that is what justified him. That's what saved him. He had faith that God would do what he said he was going to do. For us, we have faith that God did what he said that it is done. That is it. It is by faith. But we have to understand, though, it's the Old Testament, they still had the law. And I think understanding the gravity of the situation that's affecting the Galatians like, could help us. So imagine with me, and you are an Old Testament Israelite. You are saved by faith, but you um, are able to stay within the community with the adherence of the law. The law shows God's righteous decree of his character. It shows what everything is right. Everything shows God's character and who he is. And you must follow the law in order to be able to stay within the community of Israel. And once you, and so every day you had to do sacrifices to have a substitute that allowed you to stay. For us, Jesus Christ is our substitute forever and always. You'll never get anything better than Jesus. But for the Old Testament Israelite, it's they had sacrifices. So imagine with me, every morning you wake up, you go to your shed and you get your cow, you get your goat, you get your pet dove, and you go and you have to do burnt offering, grain offering, and peace offering every day. 
That was the sacrificial system. And then plus you had to do guilt offering and sin offering if you were to have sinned against other people. Or if you just accidentally like hit someone's donkey. And so it's you had these offerings that you were doing every day and that's what allowed you to stay within the community. In the and then you had these Judaizers, they're saying to the Galatians, yes, Jesus fulfilled the age to come, meaning he died for the sins, but we still have to live as if the system still is in play. And Paul's like, no. We are not under the law anymore. We are over here now. We are, when Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law, when Jesus perfectly completed the sacrifices, so you are now over here. And that is this freedom that they have. And as the Galatians have it, we have it. That's what we're free from. And that's good news because I don't know about you, but I'm not much of a hunter nor like a killer. Killing the cow every morning would be hard. But that is how people were in God's community. And that's what Paul is arguing. You are free from that. Christ has called you free because you are in the age to come. And we see elsewhere, look back with me at Galatians 2.16. Paul, or he articulates this. He says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believe in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one is justified. Judaizers, you have to do a work in order to maintain justification or be accepted. Paul's like, no. It's not how it works. You and I can know that we know that we know that it is by faith in the one Jesus Christ is how we're saved. That is it. For the Galatians, as Paul says, because Jesus came in as the fulfillment of the promise, being Abraham's offspring, keeping the law and dying for our sins and doing so perfectly and forever covering sins so that there's no need for sacrifice anymore because you'll, get, you'll never get anything better than Jesus. That is freedom that you and I have. That sounds awesome, right? That's pretty darn good. But Paul goes on to tell us what this freedom then looks like. So the Galatians, Paul, he Paul's reminding the Galatians, this is what you have. This is your reality now. You're free from the law. You're free from the old age. You're free from all those things. So this is where you stand now. But what does it mean to live now? Like, what does that mean that we're free from the law? And this is what Paul continues his argument for us. Paul says this now in the next verse. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Here is where the gospel understanding really starts to take shape in our lives practically. This is really where it starts to mold. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Paul says, don't do that, but do this. But what does he mean by flesh, and what is this, what is, what's he getting now with this? Well, flesh doesn't typically mean like flesh and bone and all that, but rather flesh, it's communicating a different world entirely. In, in theological terms, this is what they call like the old age and the age to come. The old age, meaning life before Jesus, that both 
as Paul argues earlier in Galatians, that both Old Testament Israelites and the whole world existed in. It was the old age, or you can say it's like that's where everything back here was. Israelites still had the law and they were saved by faith, but it was old age back here. And now the age to come happened when Jesus died on the cross and he introduced how things will be. When Jesus rose from the dead, he says, you are now co-heirs with Christ. Currently, today, you participate in what life will be like in the end. Paul says, we now live in the life of what it means to be like with God, even though we're not yet. He's saying we exist and we operate as if we have one and we're there, but we still live here. It's like this overlap. It's like in Marvel. It's like in multiverse. Marvel's super helpful with illustrations now because it really makes it easy. We understand it. It's just like, okay, so literally there's a reality over reality. <laughs> if philosophical terms 100 years ago, people were like, what are you talking about? Now we're like, Spider-Man, I got it. <laughs> and so that's kind of where we're at. It's this overlap. But so live according to the flesh is the old age. Life before you knew Christ. Life back then. And this is a light that, that, that this is what this current age is. This current age is defined by sin, wickedness, evil, Satan, etc. And we look around and we see people who are hurting all around us. And, the, and that's what this age represents. But the age to come that Paul says we are in, the age to come that believers operate in. This is when people are pure, who love God, who are set apart, and they act differently because they are cleansed of their sins. Ultimately, which I'm going to get here in a second, they have the Holy Spirit within them, so they don't identify with this age or the flesh, but rather the one to come. Paul says you, are, you become part of the age to come when you repent of your sins. He says one of the foundational verses of Galatians 2, he says this in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, the life I live in this old age, the life I live in this current reality, I live by faith in the Son of God. So he exists here, but he lives differently. He exists here, but he is from and they have a completely different reality he's a part of. I live in this age, but I do not act like this age because I am not a part of this age because Jesus has bought me and I'm crucified with him. That is the difference. So the life I live in the flesh, the life I live in this current age, I live by faith. The old Paul is gone and then he is new he has been delivered from the old age and identifies with the age to come. And that is very, it gets really practical for you and I because when it says do not give your freedom an opportunity for the flesh. So as flesh means the old age, life outside of Christ what does this look like in, your, in, your, in our lives? Well, in, as, a, as a child born of the age of the internet coming up, and, or it's coming up, it's here, but, uh, and also in student ministry, we're, we're exposed to where this gets really lived out in our lives. It's, it's 
We deceive ourselves to believe that we can indulge in things of the old age and not be influenced by it. We indulge and we, we participate, we consume things, and we say, okay, things that Jesus died for, I'm still going to indulge and participate here, but it won't affect how I am part of the new age. So what this looks like often is a phrase that I have said and that I hear often in student ministries is, it's like, oh, I'm listening that they, when they're listening to some type of music and they will say the phrase, well, don't worry, it doesn't have effect on me. Or they'll say, it's okay, I can handle it. We say phrases, it's okay, I can handle it. It's, I, it, doesn't, it won't influence me, don't worry, it's okay. I can hear all the, every other word seeing something grotesque, but it doesn't, it doesn't shape the way I think. And with that, we ask ourselves, if that was true, then why did Jesus have to die? If that was true, why did we have to be delivered from one age to be part of another? And that is where we have to really think often. It's like we consume shows for comedy, but we dismiss the sexual immorality. And, like, again, this is a very thing that I have a lot of people in my circles. And, you know, like, myself, it's like, Taylor Swift is a great theologian. But it's like, is that the one you want? Like, because it's like, seriously, she is speaking and teaching us something. And with that, it's like, okay, am I going to be listening to this? But don't give my freedom an opportunity to flesh. And what this really on boots on the ground, practically what this looks like is, all right, I know I'm saved. I know Jesus loves me, so I can go live this way. I can live, I use my freedom as an opportunity. It's like, okay, so I know this, so I'm not a slave to these things, so I can kind of just, I mean, I can still dabble here. And Paul's like, if you give your, if you use that freedom as opportunity, it will either expose something or lead to something. It exposes by showing it's just like, what do you really like? Or it leads to something that it's like, honest to God, you could be listening to or consuming something and saying, I can handle it, but guess what? You won't be able to handle it soon. You can't. And that's why Paul warns us. It's a warning. He's like, don't do it. Don't go that way. Freedom is misunderstood because if we look at often the, again, to do a biblical theology, is freedom isn't you get to do what you want. Rather, freedom is you don't have to, you can, you don't have to do those things anymore. That's what freedom is. Freedom is you transfer from this kingdom to start being part of this kingdom. It's not like, oh, I'm free, now I'm here. And Paul is arguing with you and I, not arguing, encouraging you and I, saying, hey, you are called to freedom. You don't have to be that way anymore. It's not because you have to pull yourselves by your own bootstraps. It's no, because the spirit of God is in you. And you cannot have to delight in those things anymore. You can go that way. Because Jesus is working in you. Paul tells us in a few verses later in 519, he says this. It's like, what does the acts of the old age look like? He says, now the works of the flesh, the works of the old age are evident. He says, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it's just like, 
why it leads to something and exposes what given the using your freedom as an opportunity for flesh. It either leads to something that you'll just go down a path of destruction or it'll just leave you in a dumpster fire or it'll expose something that you just don't like the things of the age to come. I've heard it said this way before. It's like, if you don't like righteousness now, what makes you think you're going to like it then? If you don't like like the age to come now that Jesus bought, what makes you think you're going to be like him in heaven? He's saying, like, you're going to be miserable there. And this is what Paul is arguing you now. It's like, freedom, that's what you have. But don't use your freedom that you don't have this weight of the law crushing on you as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't go down that road of give any sin just a say in what you do. Don't do it. Because, no, don't use your freedom as an opportunity of flesh. It's, it's individualized. You go down this way. You make choices. And it involves still being who you once were on your own, separated from Christ. He's like, don't do that. It's not good for you. It doesn't serve you. But he says, with your freedom, he gives an alternative of what this freedom looks like. He says, so don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but he says, but through love, serve one another. We have, what does freedom properly expressed look like? It's not indulging in things the age to come, but rather being for one another in gospel community. I like this, this passage is fascinating because it says two very private things, this verse. One, it's, it's, it's set in the present active tense, which communicates a day-by-day thing that you and I do together. Day-by-day, day, we, through love, serve one another. Day-by-day, day, it's present active. It's not written in the past, not like a thing you will eventually do one day or one thing you had to do last week. It's a every day we serve one another. But I think if we were to woodenly translate this, it could really help us if, like, understand what this word serve, like, communicates. If we were to woodenly translate this from the Greek, it says, but become slaves of one another through love. Slaves to one another through love. We are enslaving ourselves to one another because, not because I owe you something, but rather, I'm Christ. It's not like I have something I owe God. I can't, like, pay him back anything. I don't have this debtor's ethic to him. Rather, it's like I'm his, and we are all brought together. And freedom is manifested and portrayed and communicated and celebrated when people are enslaved to one another because we want each other to know how beautiful Christ is. That's what we want to do. It's, it's, it's led to me like, how can I serve you? It gets the attention off of you. You can go serve someone else. I don't have to think of myself. Rather, I can make you more like Christ. How, I can remind you of, of God's promises. I am enslaved to you. You can look to the person next to, it, next to you and say, you can't get away from me. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you can't run. It's just like Liam Neeson. It's like, I will find you. <laughs> it's just like, you are enslaved to each other. You are 
in each other's lives because we are Christ. And so with that, we have this bond to each other to where it's like inescapable enslavement towards one another. And it's a community that the world and everyone wants. But with that, it's the pandemic and just the past few years exposed a lot of, about people's beliefs on the matter of Christian identity. Many people claim is, I go to church online, or all I need is Jesus and me. Friend, that's just a false way of thinking. It's your Jesus and me will always, the gospel will lead to Jesus and us. It's us. We need each other. Again, look to the person next to you and say, you need me. It's just like, I think of that meme of like, I'm the captain of this ship now. It's like, no, it's just like, we need each other. And that is where the gospel takes shape. It's not individualized. It's communal. It's constantly being with each other. We are slaves to one another. So that means we are after each other's good to have the other person sitting next to you see Christ more beautifully than they did the hour before. That it's your job and your joy to be like, Jesus loves you, and he wants you to take your next step with him. It's this constant, like, we are in this together. Keep going. It's not individualized because when we individualize our faith, it's you're just going to be lonely and you're not going to have people looking at you and reminding you of the promises of God because the promises of God just meets all of us that we encourage each other. The church is beautiful because we are a community of people belonging to God, wiped away of sins and able to enslave themselves to another. But how is this all possible? Through love. Is like the text says wittingly, but enslave, like become a slave to one another through love. Not my love. My love on itself is garbage. It's just like my love, how I, it's like if that was all on me to how I love you, it's all on me to how I'm able to become next to you. It's like the God, like it will fall short. But this is to where, why Christianity and in. God's people is different than any other faith group, any other belief system, because it's love working through us that we enslave ourselves to one another. And that's what's beautiful. And this is to where I want to encourage, if you're in here today and you come and you go, you come and you sit in your chair and immediately it's like when the bell rings it's like you're out of those doors i want to encourage you to repent and be like no be a part of the family and he says but in love serve one another that means we're a part of this look if you claim this is your family if if hp is to happen in place it's you are enslaving yourself to one another serving so you Serve one another here. I mean, I don't have to go on a serving message, but you can be like, you serve in children's ministry because you're enslaving yourself to make sure other people, family in this congregation, or their kids are hearing about Christ. You are enslaving yourself to other people in the student ministry that you're coming along teens who are just going on through the ringer of like every new, this false gospel is telling them left and right and how they're going to be happy. It's like you are enslaving yourself because you want everyone around you in your local congregation to see Jesus beautifully. And this is the caveat of this. It says, it's an imperative here. 
He says, but through love, serve one another. And so with that, it's like, I don't want you being disobedient to Jesus. <laughs> so you serve. And, and the whole world wants to replicate something like this because people after other people's genuine well-being because it's love working through them of the save the earth is beautiful. And it transforms relationships in like any other group could ever do. It just transparency, like singing these songs this morning, this is, this is difficult. Like singing It Is Well With My Soul, just like Wednesday morning, one of my close friends, they had a stillborn birth and they delivered their son Wednesday morning. Tomorrow afternoon, we're, we're doing the funeral together. And when we walk into the room after they deliver their son, Luke, and the mom looks at my wife and I and says, I am remembering and I am rejoicing that Jesus loves me. And just like in that, we just look at each other, and that's enslaving out of love. It's like, it has to go to something. And it's looking at Jesus beautifully. And those paradoxical moments of when someone who is in the ring of suffering can encourage my soul, who is I potty my two-year-old. That's the biggest suffering in my life right now. But these moments, like, that's enslaving each other to love. Like, all of us are seeing Jesus more beautifully. And we, and what I would only note difference, like, I love what we're doing is redeem people sing. I would just add, redeem people sing together. We sing with each other, knowing each other pointing each other to Jesus. We do it together. But if it's love working through us, it's like, who's the us? The us can be anybody. Anyone in this room can be part of this community. The world's obsessed with trying to give you a replicated community that you're accepting. We have Moose Lodges. We have Eagles Clubs. We have American Legions. We have Facebook groups. What are those, these these Communities are because we want to feel like we're a part of something. But you have to do something within yourself to be a part of those communities. Guess what? The church is the only community that someone else bought you and invites you in. And anyone here could be in that community. You are called from darkness for relationship with Jesus. From your past for community. The gospel, like if you put in two words, it's from something for something. And Paul's telling you and I, you are called from your sin, from the old age, for freedom in Christ. That's what it is. But how is this love working through us? How does this work? If my love falls short, if your love falls short, how is this all working out? We get to what Paul says here in verse 14. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 14 provides the basis for verse 13. When believers enslave themselves to one another, they are fulfilling Old Testament law. How does this fulfilling Old Testament law through, like, not become this damning weight on your back to actually something that you participate in? The difference between any other point in history that Paul is advocating for the Galatians and for you and I is you have the Spirit of God, the Spirit. That is how love works through you, is by the Spirit. And that's why I love what Matt Morris prayed earlier. It's like if you don't know him, it's like only those who are in Jesus Christ can genuinely love people. It's because the Spirit. 
It's this divine thing that when you are able to walk up to somebody and genuinely love them, it's because it's not your love that's producing from you. It's love of God working through you by the Spirit. And this is what he says here in a few verses later when he compares, when he says, now the acts of the flesh are evident. He says, now the acts of the old age are evident. He gave us this list. But what does he say just following? He says here in verses 23, 22 through 25, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. When he says against such things there's no law, he's implying that like, there's no set of rules or human virtue that can produce these things. There's no Walmart book you can buy. It is genuinely just the Spirit of God that comes, that resides within you to when you repent of your sins and turn to Jesus. That is it. It is through the Spirit. So that love puts enslaving each other through love. That through love is the Spirit. That is how all these following weeks when we talk about who's my neighbor, how do I love my coworkers, how do I, help, how do I love my siblings, how, it's, it's like how does Scott Rowan love these Verge kids here at this campus? <laughs> it is, I'm looking at that road right there. <laughs> it is by the Spirit. That's how. That is how we do it. And Paul here is quoting Leviticus 19.18. He shows, he quotes Leviticus 19 here to show that every Old Testament law, every righteous character of God revealed becomes expressed through us because we are free to love one another by the Spirit. If we look at all the Old Testament laws, why love your neighbor is the, um, like the solution to it is because that's the remedy. If we get to the ten, look at the Ten Commandments. You have the first four, which is your vertical relationship with God. When you get to the rest, it's like, "Thou shalt not commit adultery." What's the alternative to that? Love your neighbor. Thou shalt not covet. What's the love your neighbor? In the Old Testament, that was this weighty thing because they did not have a heart change. They had a heart of stone. They did not have the ability to do these things on themselves. Likewise, we don't outside of Christ. But what's different for the Galatians and what's different for you is by faith in Jesus, you have the Spirit, and you can love your neighbor now. That's awesome. You can, because you know your life. There's some pretty unlovable people, and you might be one of them. But with the Spirit, you can love, because it's not yours. It's through you. But this is also when it gives, when we look at the old age, it's, this text teaches us to love one another, but it, in, in so it assumes something. It assumes you and I love ourselves just fine. You and I are perfectly fine on our own to love ourselves. Every day you and I love ourselves perfectly. You might say, Foster, that's not true. I have low self-esteem. I think low myself. That's the whole issue. It's self. It's self. Here, like, one, 2 Timothy 3 tells us one of the marks of the old age is lovers of self. But rather, this is the remedy that you and I need is you don't need to learn to love yourself is you need to learn how much God loves you. When you learn how much God loves you and you focus on God's love for you, that's what transforms your thinking that can work through you. 
That's what's freeing. Again, I look at Paul when he writes here in Galatians 2.20, part of the New Age. Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me. He loves me. He loves you. That's the thing that transforms every other world system. Every other world system is like, you can't love others until you learn to love yourself. No, you can't love others until you learn the love of God. You need to learn how much God loves you and how much he did love you by sending his son, how much he loved you by dying for your sins, how much he loved you by rising from the dead and promising that you also will rise from the dead with him one day. That is the hope that you and I have. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. This is how the Old Testament laws fulfill through us, by the Spirit who loves through us. So that's kind of like the direction we're going to get for all these, pre- these following weeks. It is through the Spirit. But here's the thing. It's what happens when we don't love God? What happens, though, when we aren't following him? Paul concludes here, he says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This word bite here is interesting because it, it typically throughout the Old Testament it is translated with serpent bites. And what we see here, if Paul is truly alluding to Old Testament passages, and if he is distinct, I, I believe here throughout the book of Galatians, he is distinguishing between life of the Spirit and life of Satan, life of the old age. When Paul says, if you bite and devour one another, essentially saying, if you act like Satan, you're going to get the fruit of that. If you bite and devour one another, expect not the fruits of the Spirit, but expect the opposite. That is what we'll get. Recently, we witnessed the, the devastating story of six folks who died at the bottom of the ocean in the, in the submarine. What we found in the story is the navigation went out, oxygen depleted, and then ultimately, horrifically, the sub imploded on itself under the, pre- under the weight of the water. Likewise, churches all across here implode on themselves so when people aren't walking according to the Spirit, but rather biting and devouring one another, and the fruit of that is churches implode. And here's the thing. It's your biting never just affects what affects everybody. Everyone. This is to where it's just devastating. This past week, I got news that uh, a mentor, one mentor in my life who I was just talking two weeks ago, but it's just all of a sudden, uh, he had an affair 20 years ago that just came out. He had an adulterous relationship for three years, never told a soul. No one found out, and this happened at his previous church. Then all of a sudden, what's the fruit of this? It is now two churches, literally from coast to coast, from east coast to west coast. Both churches are now just have still fang bites. And that's where we have, if we live by the Spirit, it's just like we don't want to bite and devour each other. Rather, we encourage one another. We love one another. Because, again, we go back to the beginning here. 
How do I love my neighbor? You have to be free. You have to ask yourself this morning, are you free? Do you still, are you still alienated from Christ? Do you still have the weight of your sins on you? Do you still have this separation from Christ? Because if you do, you aren't free. If you do, you are a lover of yourself. If you do, you are not free to have not go down those things of the old age. That's why today is I want to encourage you, freedom in Christ. Can we go back to Galatians 2.20? It's free. You experience freedom from the free gift. It's by placing your faith in him, by turning from your sins, looking to him. And that is how then you are set free from your previous life for a relation with him, for community that loves one another, not by your love, but by the spirit of God that works through you. And that transforms every church, every relationship in your life is because it is truly supernatural. And we rejoice that in this room, dear Christian, if you are free, Jesus loves you. He died for you knowing everything about you. And by doing that, you can love. God is good.